Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, We are focusing on five things this year, uh, each trimester, when it comes to programming and planning our weekend services. These are five emphases, five themes, five liturgical touch points that we want our our sermon schedule to revolve around. Uh, One is Bible studies. We've done some amazing stuff with that this year. Uh, One is equipping services. That's basically like normal services or the old way we've always done service where you get practical teaching from the scripture. Another is, uh, is intentional prayer and worship days where we glorify God through the arts and we intentionally and intensively pray over very specific things in the life of our church or the life of the Big C Church. Then there's celebration services where we party for a weekend. Then there are blitz days. And anybody love blitz days in the room? I mean, I love it. We were doing blitz days before they were cool. I'm just saying, and we're still doing them. Now we're doing three a year. So uh, pretty neat stuff. Now, today is one of those intentional prayer and worship days. And this is my opinion, but I think these have been the most powerful days of the year for us so far as a church because I've got to see our church grow. I think we've all grown. We've all matured in the way that we participate actively, emotionally, physically with our bodies in worship when we come together. I've seen people come forward and light candles. I've seen people receive the ashen mark of the cross on Lent. I've watched as people, like these rugs were not a fixture of our room until this year. I'm just saying, right? Thank you, Costco. And also thank you for whoever the mystery person is that bought the pillows because they just dropped them off one day. I still don't know who the lady is. But these weren't here until this year because we had this outpouring of people that just wanted to come forward and pray for one another or be prayed over or, or just kneel before the altar, if you will, and lift up their hearts before God when we gather together. There is something powerful about corporate worship. We don't just do it to check a box. We do it because God says so. And he says, when the church comes together, uh, something uh, amazing happens, right? So uh, I, I have loved, I have loved seeing you this year. I've loved seeing you pray for families. I've loved seeing parents pray over, pray over their kids. I love seeing our youth lead the way, praying over just about everybody in this room. I have loved that. I wanna challenge you. Yes, praise God, whoever's clapping for the youths. At this church, at this church, we call them the youths, by the way, youth with an S, plural, just saying. Uh, The youths, I'm so thankful for them. And I wanna encourage you again today to take that heart of worship into our worship time um, after I speak a little bit about what we're gonna be worshiping and, and focusing on today. Now, Jason just said it. Our focus today is in alignment with the Big C Church. Today celebrates what in the liturgical calendar? Ascension, right? Actually, Ascension Day is technically on Thursday. That's when your high church environments will have the big feast. But this is Ascension Sunday. It's Ascension Sunday. And uh, I believe that the Ascension don't get enough attention. So that's why we chose this. And that's why I want to read to you some Ascension accounts right now. So will you stand with me for the reading of Luke 24? I'm gonna read a pretty large excerpt. I want you to open your hearts and minds. God, open our hearts and minds to be inspired by your spirit right now who inspired the word of God, who inspired Luke's hand and mind when he put this to to paper. I want you to be inspired by this. 
All right? And I want you to hear the story of our Jesus in this because this is amazing stuff. Luke 24, starting in 36. Jesus is risen from the dead and it says that all of a sudden he himself was suddenly standing there among the disciples. These, by the way, are the same disciples that abandoned and betrayed him just days before. What are his first words to his betrayers? Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I mean, he did die after all on a cross. Why are you frightened, he asked. He knows the answer. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. He's showing them his scars, right? Touch me, make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. And still they stood there in disbelief, filled with wonder and joy. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? This is more proof, by the way. Like, it's funny, like, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. First thing he wants to do is eat, like me, when I rise from the dead every morning. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> He's actually proving to them that he is an embodied person. It says they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you uh, everything written about me. And the law of Moses, the prophets, and the, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus himself says the Hebrew scriptures, the old covenant, the, what we call the Old Testament, he's the fulfillment of it. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Man, I would have loved to hear that sermon. And he said, yes, this is a summary. Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer, die, and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And you are witnesses of all these things. And now, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then, after this amazing encounter, Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. Don't miss that. He blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. There it is. So they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy and spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Word of the Lord, you can be seated. Wow. Thanks be to God for every last word of his word. A couple other ascension accounts, okay? Luke was written by, we believe, Luke. Acts was written by, also Luke. We believe that Luke-Acts is actually one story, two volumes. So in the second volume, he gives us a little bit more insight about what Jesus said on the ascension day. Jesus' words to the disciples. He says, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So there's a promise given, right? And you will be my what? Witnesses telling people about me. So there's a promise and a commission, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, just basically everywhere to the ends of the earth. Then after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. Promise and commission, right? Do you see it? Let's look at another account. Matthew's great commission. There's two great commissions, by the way. We always talk about the great commission. It's a great commission. We just read Luke's great commission. Right? Here's Matthew's great commission. Jesus came and he told his disciples, 
Last verses of Matthew. I have been given all authority. Don't miss that because this is where we're going next. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because I got that authority, I want you to go and make disciples. There's the commission. There are four verbal ideas in this passage. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach, right? Four verbal ideas, but only one of them is the main verb of the sentence, and that's make disciples. Go, baptize, and teach are what we would call supporting participles. So that means that the Great Commission revolves around this verb right here, make disciples. And how do you do that, Jesus said? By going, by baptizing, by teaching. You following me? So he says, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the triune God, teach these new disciples to obey all commandments I have given you, and be sure of this, here's the promise, I am with you. With who? With you. That's a plural you, so it's y'all. I'm with y'all. Always. Even to the end of the age. Commission and promise. You see it? All right. Now, what a moment. Could you imagine being with the disciples as Jesus lifts his hands? And by the way, he doesn't just like float into outer space because we know now, based on modern science, that like he could float for 14 billion light years and still be floating in outer space, right? So where is heaven? It's like another dimension more or less, right? But, but could you imagine just seeing this transpire in front of you? Uh, what I have found is that when we read the ascension counts, uh, accounts, we read them a little bit backwards because we read them like we do the whole Bible. We tend to read the ascension like, like it was written for us or about us. We tend to say, well, look at this great commission that Jesus has given us. Or look at this great promise he's given us. And they are great. And we shouldn't miss them, right? It's cool to think about. But rarely do we consider what this ascension actually means for Jesus rather than us. See, what this ascension means for Jesus is the fundamental truth of this passage. What gives him the authority to commission? What gives him the authority to promise and then later send the Holy Spirit? Why are we now in a covenant age where the Spirit... The law of God is written in the hearts of men and women. That's because Jesus, the king, says so. So let's be clear here. Again, we are celebrating Ascension Sunday today. And the main theme of the Ascension is, is quite simple, actually. Jesus is the king. That's my best attempt at a crown. That's what Jesus ascended to, by the way, as we'll see in Hebrews 1 later. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, to the throne at the right hand of the Father. And I just kind of love the idea that today, hundreds of millions of our brothers and sisters around the globe, from the hood to the hollers of Kentucky, from the jungles of South America to the plains of Africa, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the mega church, the underground church, the, the persecuted church, black, brown, white, doesn't matter. Hundreds of millions of our brothers and sisters, Big C Church, are reading these passages and worshiping Jesus as king this day in unison with us. The Ascension Day. Now, why do we do it today, by the way? Can we just get nerdy for just a moment here? Okay, I just wanna give you a quick timeline in case nobody's ever told you, all right. The Passover happened during what Jewish celebration? Sorry, the, I just gave it to you. The crucif 
I'm already on sabbatical. Okay, in my mind, my mind is, the crucifixion happened during what Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish celebration? You better get that right. The Passover. The Passover. Now we don't know exactly which Passover it was. A lot of scholars believe it was 80-30. Okay, so we're about to actually celebrate the 2000 year anniversary, if this is correct, of the crucifixion. If you think about that, right? The resurrection, that's, that's pretty neat to think about. The Passover happened about AD 30. Um, and uh, uh, this sort of, this crucifixion Passover, uh, well, they always celebrate the Passover in early spring. Okay, hence the reason why we celebrate Easter in early spring. Now, after Jesus dies and on Sunday uh, rises from the dead, uh, Acts 1 through 3 tells us what the risen Jesus does before he ascends. It says, during the how many days? Hold on to that. 40 days after he suffered and died, he did things like appearing to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about what the kingdom of God, right? So this was the business Jesus was in uh, for 40 days. So let's just draw the timeline here. We've got 40 days of, what was he doing? Teaching, appearing. Uh, oh, we know that he was forgiving, don't we? Because if you read John's little version of the risen Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, goes and he meets with Peter the one who denied him three times and he forgives and commissions him uh, three times. Uh, he's doing lots of interpreting of the scriptures as we see on the road to Emmaus and uh, as we see in Luke's ascension account. And then after 40 days, he is, I mean like not really up, but he ascends. This is ascension day. Or we might also call it a commission day. Now, just for kicks and giggles, 10 days pass, and 10 days after this, what celebration do the Jews celebrate? Anybody? Pentecost, right? Pentecost. And Pentecost is significant. You know what Pentecost actually uh, means? The Greek word Pentecost, Pentecost, it just means 50th, right? 50 days after the Passover, they celebrate Pentecost. And as Christians, according to Acts chapter two, this is the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit falls and the church celebrates this birthday with 3000 baptisms, which will be relevant in a second. Now, this is the whole big picture of the ascension. This is what leads up to it. This is what comes after it. And I would suggest to you that if you read the Bible with careful eyes, what you'll see is that it all just points to this main theme that Jesus is king. These passages are intentionally structured, phrased to present Jesus and his coronation. Okay, so look at the crucifixion. I'll give you an example. Look at the crucifixion here. Have you ever noticed how this bloody, scene of torture is loaded with king image. Jesus is given a crown, isn't he? Though be it a crown of thorns. He's robed in purple, though it be over lashes on his back. He's called the son of God, a kingly title for the Jews, though it be an accusation of blasphemy. He's lifted up high for all to see with his crown on, though it be 
on a cross as a convicted criminal. He's hailed king of the Jews, though it be in mockery. And he also meets in his last day with several political leaders. He meets with the high chiefly priests, right? He also meets with one of the most powerful men on the planet earth, the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And I find it interesting what the two of them talk in Jesus' final hours about. Kingship. Pilate's curious. He asks Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. So yes, he's a king, just a different sort of king. If it were an earthly kingdom, he says, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. That's not what they're doing. My kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate said, so you're a king? And Jesus responded, well, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came to the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. This is confusing to Pilate. So Pilate asks him, what is truth? Again, this will be relevant in just a moment. They have a further conversation. One last time before Jesus is sentenced to crucifixion. And I love how Jesus just does a little mini flex on Pilate here. He's in cuffs. He's about to get nailed to a cross. Understand. But look at what he says to Pilate. Pilate, he says, you realize you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. Watch how a real king works is what he's saying here. Now, you know, uh, having studied this story for, for years now, having read it hundreds of times, I think actually the most stunning and provocative moment though in Jesus' crucified coronation is the sign that's nailed over his head. Have you ever noticed it? Okay, so um, it said, Pilate, who, who did the sign? Pilate, right? Pilate had an inscription written and put on the cross over Jesus. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in the three languages so anybody could understand it, Hebrew, Latin, or Greek. And isn't it interesting? Oh, the irony of it. Just verses before this, Pilate said, what's true? What's true? And then a few verses later, trying to mock Judaism and mock Jesus, Pilate accidentally proclaims it. Hmm. And you know, I think in this moment, at least I, I like to imagine, that the angels began to sing the hymn that the Spirit would later inspire the Apostle Paul to write. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul helps us process the, the coronation that happened in the crucifixion. Uh, he says, though he was God, he being Jesus, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Basically, he stooped down, took the humble position of a slave and was born a human. When he appeared in human form, Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, because of the cross and the humbling and the stooping down and the incarnation, therefore, God did what? He elevated him to the place of highest honor. Look at all the king language. He gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Who do you bow the knee to? A king in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Again, another king word, to the glory of God the Father. Now do you see how Paul does us a favor here and brings this all together? This helps us get from cross to resurrection. 
and see how it plays into the whole idea of of the last 50 days being a coronation of Jesus. See, Paul actually sees Jesus' descent into weakness and death as an ascent, an elevation, if you will, into power and glory. By his death, Jesus secured the coming day when every knee will bow and tongue will declare him king. This is the significance of the resurrection. Resurrection Sunday is the only reason we call Good Friday good. It's the only reason that we look at the cross as a symbol of victory. It was a torture device, y'all. And yet, how many of you got cross jewelry on right now? Like how many of you got a tattoo on your body of a cross? Think about it. You don't have a guillotine tattooed on you. You're not wearing an electric chair as your jewelry. Why, why? It's because Jesus' resurrection changed how we viewed this device of torture. What was once the symbol of the violence of empire has now become the symbol of the power of God. What was once the instrument of human suffering is now an instrument of Christ's love. What was once an expression of imminent death is now an expression of eternal hope. The cross, in a sense, has come to represent the very opposite of its original purpose because Jesus rose from the dead. This was the Christian claim from the start. The cross was not Jesus' defeat. It was Jesus' coronation because he rose from the dead. And the resurrection was interpreted by the disciples as a vindication of the cross. And for the next 40 days, the next 40 days, we see Jesus explain this. His kingship, by the way, is so full of upside down truths, isn't it? Like a king should not come with a, with a cross. A king should, should come with a sword. That's what we think, right? But then he's nailed to the cross. So a tortured and killed criminal, they should be a corpse, right? But instead in Jesus, we have someone risen from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, that's when the king should pull out the sword and say, now y'all gonna get yours, right? But instead of a reckoning, we get a reconciliation. Oh, Jesus. It's so backwards in the most beautiful way. Now, the same is true with the ascension. It's kind of backwards, All right, as you know, the next 40 days he forgives, he teaches all the things. He's done the hero's deeds. He's defeated the villain death. He takes his seat at the throne. And the author of Hebrews describes it like this. He says, long ago, uh, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Now in these final days though, he's spoken through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory. He expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything, sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And where is he? Well, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's where he is today, at the right hand of the Father. Now, when it comes to the ascension, I think there are two upside down truths that we should notice. This is where I wanna end my time. And these are the two points of focus I wanna challenge you to worship around for the rest of our time together, all right? Two upside down truths of the ascension. First, when Jesus ascends, notice, the world doesn't end, a new era begins. Do you see this? He gives marching orders in his great commission. He gives promise of power and presence. But then he leaves it up to us. Jesus is the most powerful king the world's ever seen. He's sustaining the world right now, but his power is not coercive. Have you noticed? He rules the universe with unrivaled authority, but he will not make you obey. He will tell you what to do, but then he will give you the freedom to decide. 
and he will be patient with you and he will wait day after day for you, but he will not force you to surrender yet. So the question in this post-resurrection, post-ascension era is not, is Jesus king? The question is, who will acknowledge it? And I would like to pose that question to you today for contemplation. Have you acknowledged Jesus fully as king over every inch and ounce of your life? Here's the second question, the second upside down truth. Did you notice what Jesus was doing as he rose to the throne? Luke 24 said, Jesus led him to Bethany, lifting his hands to heaven. He blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left and was taken up to heaven. What a king we have in Jesus. This is incredible. You would expect that as the cosmic king takes his throne, there would be choirs singing to him. There would be flower petals falling. There would be gifts being offered. Every knee would be bowing. Songs and hymns and praises and blessings would be going to the king, right? But not Jesus, the constant servant, the suffering servant, according to Luke, blessed his disciples. The last vision of Jesus that they had was his outstretched hands speaking words of blessing over him. That's how he wanted to be remembered. Giving them words of sustaining blessing. Contemplate this today. Jesus commands them to witness. He commands them to make disciples. That's a big deal, right? But before the disciples do any of that, before they obey, before they preach, before they give birth to the church along with the power of the Holy Spirit, before they take the gospel to the entire world, before they're martyred in courage and faithfulness, before they do a single thing to earn back Jesus' trust after betraying and abandoning him, before any of that, Jesus blessed him. And in the same way, before you surrender or do great things for Jesus, he speaks deep words of blessing over you. So it is on these two truths I would ask you to contemplate today. Blessing and obedience. It's what the ascension is about. We know the commission he's given us. We say it like this here. We unleash Jesus' love every day, everybody, everywhere, home, workplace, city, church, right? And Jesus expects us to do that. It's up to you. But before you do a thing, you should know you have a king that delights in blessing us. So as we move into a time of worship, we're going to sing first about his blessing right now. And then we will pray and sing about his kingship. And I'm asking you just to surrender to it today. Would you stand as we sing about the blessing of our king?